I'll never forget my grammar school teacher, Mr. McGough. We called him Tiny because he was so tall. Dennis Hopper to Dennis Potter, with Cleopatra's existential crisis in the middle. All on this 30th midnight video with your hosts, me, Jim Hall. And me, Phil Walsh. Tonight, able seaman Dennis Hopper hopes to smell something fishy when he picks up one freaky beatnik chick in 1961's Nighttide. Elizabeth Taylor pines after aristocratic Andy Warhol while contemplating the deeper mysteries of life and avoiding a stalker on a macrobiotic diet for 1974's The Driver's Seat. And a British rock stars at the movies festival concludes with Sting making life hell in suburbia as a diabolical home help in 1982's Brimstone and Treacle. Apologies if you are expecting some more of Phil's soundtrack mixtape, <laughs> but sadly we're both here, Yay. ready to jibber jabber, or gobbledygook, or uh, flim flam and argle bargle, <laughs> or gullimuffry of nonsense. Wow, I've not heard that one before. Uh, gullimuffry is a, a fine word which someone picked up on recently, um, Matt, Matt Barnett, friend of the show, Oh yes. um, he was quoting Jermaine Greer in, on his blog and she used galimafry and a galimafry is it's a word Doctor that I know from planet. exactly yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it just means a hodgepodge uh, mixed business it's got French origins so that's probably why I like it <laughs> <laughs> I've got to ask uh, how's your cheap lager because you you're trying to count the pennies <laughs> it's really crap actually yeah, yeah it's, it's nothing like yours Jim I've lowered <laughs> my standards to, uh, to the two percenters yeah well, like I say, it's more of a placebo than a drink. <laughs> anyway, shall we uh, press on? Indeed. Because I feel the seawater in my veins. Because I listen to the roar of the sea and it speaks to me like a mother's voice. The tide pulls at my heart. The face of the moon fills my soul with a strange longing. He's a sailor on shore leave looking for some action, and only shipmate Dennis Hopper would start off by looking at the local coffee house and wind up besotted with a girl who pretends to be a mermaid down at the fairground. Dennis soon gets used to hanging around with carnival barkers and fortune tellers, but when dead bodies appear, he wonders whether his pretty siren hides a grisly secret in 1961's Night Tide. So Night Tide is definitely one of the films I remember choosing. Good! <laughs> For the first time in many shows. Excellent. <laughs> this is what happens when you cut back to 4% lager. Yeah. <laughs> Reality kicks in. Yes. Um, Reality in the form of Dennis Hopper and the Mermaid. <laughs> yeah, uh, Night Tide jumped out at me because, yeah, Dennis Hopper is involved. Immediately sprang into my uh, vision was 
what he would have been doing in this kind of movie. <laughs> well, yeah, you're thinking of Frank Booth. I know, right? basically, every, everything... Like, whenever I think of Hopper, no, it's like it's always with that mask and, you know... Well, the, just the on a short fuse, to put it <laughs> mildly. It's not running out of luck that you're thinking of. No, and even, like, I watched... Um, Super uh, Mario Brothers. No, no, because he was in um, with James Dean, uh, Rebel oh, Without a Cause. And Giant as well. Yeah, because yep. um, they were close friends, apparently. Yeah. But even in those roles, I don't really notice him. He's just in the background in small roles anyway. So it's quite interesting. This probably was one of his first major uh, um, star roles. Definitely, yeah. Because like you say, he's got minor roles in Rebel Without a Cause. I don't think he's. I think he's got a bigger role in Giant. But it's been a long time since I've seen that. Oh, but yeah. everyone knows Dennis Hopper's got this background in Roger Corman land, pretty much. Um, but usually in those kind of things like The Trip. And obviously, Easy Rider mm. um, a bit later, but to see him in one of these, I, yeah, like you, I was curious what he'd be like. <laughs> and the weird thing is, he's really nervous, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's an incredibly bashful kind of character in this. It's like he's been drafted into the navy. Probably, he's on shore leave on his own. He doesn't have any buddies. Um, and yeah, he's looking for action. He's very persistent, but um, he doesn't really know how to do it, does he? No, it's quite charming. I was going to say there's something about him because like, he was quite a good looking chap in the, in these younger days and there is something yeah there's a there's a charm about him there's a naivety um, a boyish charm which is appealing but I did find it funny that he almost seemed to be struggling with uh, I don't know the way that they filmed they wouldn't have filmed it chronologically anyway no. but certain scenes it's just so obvious that it's like a the first time on stage or something almost I know he'd been doing TV for quite a few years beforehand yeah um, but this was probably a whole different kettle of fish nice <laughs> so I mean how did you find this so it's, uh, did you because I, I was watching this and I thought it reminded me a little bit of Carnival of Souls which I still I think you still haven't seen have yeah you? no um, I was going to say it reminded me of Incubus yeah that was the next thing because yeah. it has a kind of dreamy quality to it doesn't it very much which, so that's partially because it's quite a low budget film but it um, it means it's got quite a leisurely kind of atmosphere to it, it it's um, got this flute soundtrack going on yeah. throughout it as well <laughs> the whole thing did I mean I know Dennis Hopper was in a Twilight Zone um, mm. around a little bit later than this perhaps but yeah it feels like a Twilight Zone or one of those old anthology shows yeah yeah there's, well, there's that very like limbo feel to it because it's got the uh, it's set on that um famous pier which I can't remember the name of um, but it, you know it's, it's almost ghost town like yeah. there's not many souls there it's, or, it's uh, inhabited by <laughs> very odd characters yeah. like you said in the introduction the carnival barker the uh, fortune teller and very, very early on when Dennis is picking up this girl Lorna isn't it mm -hmm. um, she's kind of harassed by some peculiar I can only call her foreign because we don't know what language she's speaking but she just comes up and some sort of uh, terrible Esperanto. Esperanto. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's weird to think Dennis Hopper then is kind of like your rock of um, the real world throughout it after that, isn't he? He's the one kind of normal character in it. Um, yeah, because he's trying to piece everything together, isn't he? Because there is this whole idea of like, is she a mermaid? Isn't she? There's um, That's the whole sort of like twist to it, I suppose. Yeah, because, um, yeah, to explain it, I think someone else, I think it was Psychotronic actually said this is a kind of cat people style mm. setup. The idea, yeah, that the girl Lorna um, stars as a, 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 um, a mermaid at the local sideshow. And it's kind of a weird shot even when they show that, isn't yeah. it? It's like, because you're seeing it through Dennis Hopper's eyes. 
what a wonderful experience. <laughs> and yeah, he's, you're not quite sure what he thinks of it when he stares down and there's this rippling water in her brushing her hair with this comb but she's got the, it focuses then on obviously on this big fish tail but whether that's just the money shot <laughs> in the sense of it looks odd or whether it's something that kind of in, uh, captivates him yeah I'm not sure I never really uh, I never really put much thought into that to be no, honest I just thought he <clears> was or he was just became quite <clears throat> besotted in the way that these characters often do in these I movies he became like yeah. instantly besotted because he's just been in the navy for a year he's not Probably not much sure leave. <laughs> it's from Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you should watch the double wheel with. Uh, is it? Have you seen Tracks? No. The woman is a Vietnam vet bringing his buddy's casket home on a train, <laughs> breaking down. Man, um, like I said, uh, yeah. This does. This did remind me a bit of um, Incubus and Carnival of Souls. There is that weird atmosphere to it, and it did have some really great moments. I mean, the, the stuff I've specifically written down. There's a point when he is meeting these odd characters and it's kind of morning at the fairground, so there's very few people around. And then just cuts and there's these three children who have appeared from mm. nowhere. And that's really brilliantly done. Nothing sinister happens as a result, but it's just the fact they're suddenly there. They yeah. Look, it, it looks pretty uh, pretty sinister. Also, a scene I don't want to spoil, but there's when Dennis Hopper's talking to the carnival barker at his home who's got a bit of a drink problem. I won't say what happens, but Dennis Hopper goes over to get a bottle of... Um, vodka or something from the cabinet yes. I, it was, I, I didn't jump out of my seat but it's like wow it was, uh, it was quite a shocking moment there and yeah again there's a sort of a few dream sequences and things in it which I thought were really brilliantly done and the, the guy directed this Curtis Harrington mm. I think his background was in doing quite experimental films I mean I've not managed to I've not had the chance to watch any of them no, but no. Um, yeah, he does look as is, is someone coming at this from quite an odd angle, and um, stuff he went on to do um, was things like Who Slew Auntie Roo, <laughs> <laughs> um, which that's getting a bit tangential. But I looked that film up. Apparently, the, the idea seems to be he didn't really fulfil his promise from this. I'm, I'm not quite sure he's like a Michael Reeves character, or right? Something. Okay, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, who slew Auntie Roo with Shelley Winters? But I was looking around, and that seems to be part of a sub genre I've never heard of called psychobiddy or hagsploitation. <laughs> Crazy old people. Crazy old women, yeah. Um, probably. <laughs> Shelley Winters. Shelley Winters. <laughs> but I think this was brought around after the success of whatever happened to Baby Jane. And oh, okay. Like so, um, who knows? We, we've, we've been sadly lacking hagsploitation on this <laughs> podcast, so yeah. we may we have to get into that. But yeah, I. I enjoyed this. Yeah, I like I say, I thought there were it had a great atmosphere. There were uh, there were a few really great bits in it. There's a terrible scene with a rubber octopus. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but that is is which you are thinking Dennis Hopper as a young actor must have been thinking um even if he'd not taken drugs at that point that would probably be <laughs> He'd probably need to search something out. But isn't that part of the dream sequence? Though? It is, so you can forget. Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it's still, even still, yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. It, it, but even her mermaid's tail is a bit like lacking. Oh, I thought that did okay. It's not. It's no splash. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, like I say, it's got quite a dreamy atmosphere and not a lot of urgency, which kind of works to begin with. But I, I seem to keep <laughs> saying this with films. By the end, it was it was dragging a little bit. Yeah, uh, I know what you mean. It. Uh, no pun, but the end's a bit of a damp squib, isn't it? It is in some ways, but um, I did like the fact it sort of became something else the last 20 minutes. Mm. It, uh, 
you were going along with this whole is she isn't she a mermaid kind of um yeah so we've not mentioned the body's turn up so the idea is like the cat people when she's um she kind of kills her lovers mm, is like the suggestion the, the sirens yeah. of, uh, of Greece but then there's this like mad twist at the end and you have Dennis Hopper walking around in a Mac and cap <laughs> a flat cap he's like Victor Meldrew <laughs> it looks so dubious yes. <laughs> around a fairground at night yeah, yeah. <laughs> it looked really odd but I'm pretty sure there's a shot where he's walking along like that and mm. there's some kids walking in front of him and I think oh no he's going he's gonna to swallow them up in a minute <laughs> Yeah, not overall. It's, there's a great <laughs> like Captain Burnside. <laughs> there's a great detached atmosphere to the whole thing, and like you say, that leisurely pace. It probably didn't work for you overall, but it did for me. I, I found it um, kind of floating. And yeah. um, no, it, I mean, I would recommend this. It's yeah. just um, like I say, the, the guy definitely had his own approach to doing it because you, you you can really imagine this done with the standard kind of exploitation director. Mm at that time wouldn't have been anything like this no no and it's cheap as chips I oh, mean, yeah. you can you can see here where every nickel and dime has gone into it probably but getting a seagull to land on the breakfast table yeah <laughs> that's true yeah. that's quite a remarkable moment actually. Yeah. I wonder how they did that ah. I thought seagulls would just start attacking them to be honest you've got no yeah. faith in seagulls have you <laughs> no fucking Jonathan Livingston <laughs> and how are you today Bruno oh captain you want me to pound you later Oh, I'd like you to forego a pleasure like that. So, last show, last normal show before the soundtrack mixes took over. Um, we asked you guys if there was a Dario Argento film you'd especially like us to cover. And, uh, yeah, we had some really good feedback, actually. We <laughs> like, did. On... Things got quite heated once a clear leader <laughs> emerged. emerged. Yes, <laughs> it was kind of like the titles of Dad's Army. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the arrows coming in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Other people, hold on. <laughs> so, we'll start off. There was a bit of feedback on Facebook. Um, Marty Hollingsworth wanted Tenebrae, probably my favourite Argento film. I know Suspiria is probably the most popular, but I think Tenebrae holds together better and is more cohesive. Um, Marty of the Flickers from the Cave podcast, which, God, I was meant to take a note of this. The, their last show, they covered a great sounding. Uh, shark movie which actually was more about kind of free love by the sounds of it <laughs> but I'm very tempted to check that out it sounds uh, bizarre I'm, I'm sorry I didn't take the name of the title the name of the title or just the title <laughs> <laughs> but cheers Marty and uh, Josh from Cigarette Burns Ever the Joker Four Cats on a Crystal Penis <laughs> Three but Exclamation I, But I was saying before I'd like to see someone like perform a perform Someone before <laughs> someone make an animation in a Rolf Bakshi style with with that title. I can, I can only imagine what would come up. Four cats on Billy Crystal's penis. <laughs> they should have played that in the bloody Oscars. <laughs> oh God, I wish. <laughs> Paul Tolbert. How about Phenomena? Definitely not his best. Far from his worst. <laughs> Yet both uh, inventive and flawed enough to have a decent discussion. And neatly following on from that, David Hall. Hey Dave, uh, Phenomena brackets Creepers is a favourite of mine an underrated absurdist fantasy it has the requisite insanity for your show, is divisive our gentle expert Alan Jones famously hates it and hasn't been analysed to death, I love the film personally and the longer cut truly cuts loose with some visionary moments epic score, bad metal razor wielding chimp, pleasance 
it's perfectly normal for some insects to be telepathic. I like the line, requisite insanity for our show. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly how we judge things. Uh... Phil McGee, I can't believe I watched some of Creepers on TV the other night and thought it was remarkably similar to an Ar- a Dario Argento film. I'd heard about... Oh, indeed. It was phenomena. <laughs> uh, Anthony Virtue, he'd like opera, a.k.a. Terror at the Opera, gets my vote, along with Peeping Tom and the Eyes of Laura Moores. It remains one of the best examples of violation of the voyeur since the opening five minutes of Un Chien Andalou. Mm. Oof. You might have to help me with the pronunciation here. Michael Iriati. Or Michael Iriati. Michael Iriati. Always, always Suspiria, sublime. But maybe phenomena for Connolly and the Monkey. (laughs) 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 Connolly and the Monkey. Do you remember BJ and the Bear? This is an old CB trucker. Uh, He was a ripoff of Smokey and the Bandit. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Connolly and the Monkey. (laughs) (laughs) And Callie Atom, his Masters of Horror, Jennifer, shows I need to refine, reevaluate, and rewatch my Argento. Um, I reviewed Jennifer for Film 4 Did you? Ages ago I, I'll put a link up to it Not that it's a particularly good review It's one of these things you read now and think <laughs> I wish I could sub-edited this But yeah um, Oof, no um, Jennifer didn't actually emerge as one of the top favourites, did it? No, it didn't, so, unfortunately mm, We probably won't be covering that But no. but then uh, we also Twitter. Twitter was indeed a Twitter And it became Yeah, it became a bit of a Formula One race, really, with um, phenomena from uh, passed over sex from, <laughs> from Facebook that had passed over. So that was the leader, and then you taunted people. You said phenomena <laughs> was in the lead, and that people the the, the newspapers came off their faces. <laughs> they were racing over to the keyboard. The Sun on Sunday got involved. Money was exchanged. Your phone phones was hacked. were hacked. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah, people started coming in with Tenebrae and. All of a sudden, Deep Red came out of nowhere. That was gushing forth. <laughs> you sound like an old brimstone preacher. <laughs> I'm like the preacher. I'm like, a, like what's his friend in Static? Um, oh, yeah. Keith Gordon's uh, mate. Uh, and yeah, then we had Opera came through. Giallo, Phantom of the Opera. It's Giallo, the Adrian Aidan Bodie. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Four flies on. Um, Billy Crystal's Grey penis. <laughs> <laughs> sleepless, actually, sleepless was from Andy Rodok. Oh yeah, um, he emailed oh, us. Oh yeah, because he was very angry we were covering Argento at all, wasn't he? Uh, no, Why that was Argen- Michael. Oh, was it? It was Michael. Dyer's. Oh right, yeah. He was, he was saying he it. He was let down. Yeah, he was disappointed. Everyone does. Everyone was, everyone was let down. Oh, we're, we're doing it now, so we're everyone. <laughs> and yes, yeah, Suspiria crept in as well. But um, th- there was. I don't want to read you the whole um, conversation that was taking place, but just a massive thank you to all the people who voted, and that includes uh, Sharks Are Cool, Chris Hustwaite, aka Pardo, Mondo Dan, Paul K UK, PBR Street Gang seventy three, Dave Averse, Joe Scaramanga, Mark seventy two, Carol, Random Elements, Metal Rich, Count Fosco, Max Wren, GFD Edwards. Ross Stewart Giles, Dude Foz, Ian Loring, and Darth Elvis. Thanks, guys. Um, really appreciate it. Yes, thank you very much. All that. And thanks, Max, for offering to give us your copy of Phantom of the Opera and allowing us to keep. <laughs> which doesn't mean we're going to review it on the show. Well. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, 
after all the furore on Twitter... Can you do a reverse? A reverse and <laughs> We can do a reverse. Go on then. So. In third place, yeah. it came out of nowhere, to be honest. I was yeah. really surprised. I thought this would be bang up there. But Deep Red. Second place, my personal favourite, Argento. Tenebrae. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... And the big one. Is it Connolly and the Monkey? <laughs> it is Connolly wow. and the Monkey. <laughs> phenomena, aka Creepers. Something like a phenomena. Uh, which uh, I remember watching that a long time ago. But yes, um, I think we're both pleased that's that's come out as the winner because it's yeah, yeah. I think I think it has got the requisite insanity. I'm looking forward to seeing that again. <laughs> I only watched it. Well, I say recently, within the last few months, mm-hmm. and I'm looking forward to a possible reappraisal. Oh yeah. Maybe. We'll if see. It hangs in the balance. I'm going to watch it again. So. Okay, so I'm putting you on the spot. Next show? Next show. Next show, okay. We'll be, covering, uh, we'll be covering that. We can't have enticed everyone that much and then not do it for a few, yeah, we'll few rounds of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, really looking forward to that. So, shall we set our next Master of Terror or whatever? Well, he's not necessarily <laughs> a Master of Terror. He isn't. No. Yeah. Uh, in fact, have we decided who it's going to be? Should we do I'm just album? guessing. Um, Has he got three names to his name <laughs> or you could say the middle one is like a yeah I think yeah. go on then because I think you're on a little season of his now aren't you yeah I'm currently working my way through all of Brian De Palma's films because mm-hmm. there are massive gaps in my um, social life yeah <laughs> knowledge and collection <laughs> but yeah they're all <laughs> my social life's not existing let's not go there um, I know uh, Lee and Michael um, on Movie Matters recently did a De Palma um, episode, which mm-hmm. was great, which I really enjoyed, and kind of spurred me on in some ways. And I think Mondo Movie did Mondo, Dress to Kill they did recently. Dress to Kill, well, the last show, I think. Oh, right. Okay. At the time of us recording. Yeah. yeah. So we're, like, we're just slotting in with everyone else. We're conforming. <laughs> But maybe it's up to you guys. Like you completely, because there is there's a wide range. It's not just his Hitchcock ripoffs, as I've learned. Yeah, he did all sorts (laughs) of crazy ass shit at the book ending his career. So yeah, Um, again, we'll remind people through Facebook and Twitter. But for the next show, which we'll be recording in a couple of weeks, if we could have your suggestions for your you know your choice of Brian De Palma movie, BDP, (laughs) Psycho Biddy, yeah. (laughs) Such confusion. I left part of myself at home. The rest of myself will be arriving en route in an hour or so. Adapted from Muriel Sparks' novel 1974's The Driver's Seat, or Identikit, sees Elizabeth Taylor as Lise, a dislocated spinster jetting off to Italy to ponder her empty existence, seek out an ideal soulmate, and snap irritably at shop assistants. Her bleak journey will include encounters with orgasm addicts, terrorism, Randy Mechanics, Andy Warhol, and a Jehovah's Witness shopping for slippers. But will any of them help Lise seek satisfaction in her dark quest? We saw the trailer for this at a Duke Mitchell film night. I think it was absurd themed or something. It was the one with Strangers in Paradise. Yeah. Um, but this was a phenomenally <laughs> odd trailer. Mm. Um, I mean, I remember looking it up then on YouTube, and I'm very happy to say that the entire film has been put up on YouTube. It's not an especially great print. I'm not because sure, you've got the actual. I've DVD, got the DVD. It's it's from that. It's from that um, cheesy cheesy flicks. Flicks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just before I jetted off to Abu Dhabi, I was sitting in the pub, and you were texting me very excitedly because you were watching this. And in fairness, you weren't telling me whether it was good or bad, but just that it was suitable. <laughs> it was suitable for us to cover. Yeah. So. 
Tell me more. <laughs> Where to begin? Um, apparently, it was made just after Burton and Taylor had split up. So she, according to her, I don't know where I've read this, but according to her, she was looking for. I'm holding my fingers up and doing that yeah, very annoying inverted. thing. Yeah. Um, the role commas. she was looking the for role. the role. Yeah. Um, not so much a breakout role, but something. Given her weight gain, probably just a ham roll. <laughs> <laughs> Cheese pasty. Those oh, uh, ones from Tesco. Yeah, I just no. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I, I don't know what are attracted to this. Maybe she was a fan of Muriel Sparks' novel. Um, I guess it's held in high regard that novel. I mean, Muriel Sparks. Is I think quite a writer. Yeah, I think it was. And I mean, um, a few years back, when I don't know if you know this, there was the Lost Booker Prize because there was a shuffling yes. around of. Um, the Booker Prize was usually for the previous year and then it was for the last year. So there was a 1970... No, whatever year it was, the book came out. It was 68, was wasn't it? Was it? I thought it was, was it 71-ish or something. Oh, maybe. But, um, yeah. yeah, in 2010, when I was still working at that bookshop <laughs> where we both met, I remember they had all of the... They, they eventually did the Lost Book a year and I can't remember who won it, actually. But, um, Not this. Having watched the film and then found it was from this acclaimed book, uh, <laughs> I found that quite surprising. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I I just thought this was just I didn't think there were really films like this. <laughs> this is so much like um, a spoof of a pretentious European art house movie from the seventies, like you get on a British sketch show. Fun I know, show. I don't about that, but certainly um, Monty Python. I think there's one when Terry Jones is in Shades yeah. on a rubbish dump somewhere and I think even Benny Hill did a kind of a similar thing but it's, it's kind of yeah it, but the thing is this also has the production values of a British light entertainment show in the 70s <laughs> I enjoyed this immensely though yeah. I mean it's yeah you're right it's exactly the sort of thing we should cover yeah I thought it was fantastic I mean I was watching it through a haze of flu um, I was really quite ill when I was watching it but it, it absolutely captivated me and I know you say the production values are like they're pretty shonky but it is photographed by um, Vittorio Storaro oh, right. of um, the conformist yeah. fame and Dick Tracy did you do Apocalypse Now or is that last low Kovacs I get uh, more a bit confused Oh God! No, I think got, it was. No, it was him. No, yeah. he did. Yeah. He, de he definitely did. Um, and there are moments. Unfortunately, it's such a crap copy that yeah. the the print is terrible. But there are moments that really reminded me of the film he did, uh, the Giallo, the Fifth Chord yeah. for Luigi <coughs> Bazzoni. Especially, there's like segments where, um, just to digress slightly, uh, the film is told with lots of flash forwards um, that you not really <laughs> you just really not have a clue what's going on at first when the first one or two happens I, I was very confused and you've got interrogations happening in this white cube of a room mm. which very much reminded me of um, yeah uh, the fifth chord and the way that certain scenes were shot outside but yeah, I mean, overall, it's is quite a cheap-looking film. I mean, it's a, it's a cheap Italian film, basically. Yeah. No, it's hard to say it was like a giallo, because it did remind me. It was so full of dreadful dialogue, <laughs> um, poor dubbing. Um, it was like a giallo if someone had chopped out all of the actual violence and stuff in it. I mean, yeah. there's a little bit of violence, actually. Yeah, but, it's um, tame. There's a, bit of lure, there's a little bit of lurid material, but not a great deal. 
but it's just full of uh, it's got kind of constant piano soloing through it it's a little bit like Eyes Wide Shut it's just got this very repetitive piano music going through it that's always sounds like it's just about to break into yes, something but, it's big, just, but it doesn't, it doesn't quite. <laughs> and Elizabeth Taylor delivering yeah these ast- astonishing dialogue which is meant to be quite um, quite profound but it's delivered in such a it's not meant to be profound and enigmatic but yes. delivered in a really laboured style <laughs> so uh, uh, key example when she's at the airport at the beginning oh yeah and this old lady comes up and um a little old lady says which of these books looks better i want one with sadomasochistic murdering <laughs> and elizabeth taylor sort of is silent for a while said you often find that what appearances are on the outside disguise the fact there's nothing inside <laughs> i think really what's this film trying to tell me <laughs> Because yeah, we've not really talked about the the setup really. Yeah, she's. Um, I thought she was a film star to begin with, but it turns out she's nothing really. I think in the book she's an accountant or something. Oh right, I, to me she comes across as like a, a lonely heiress. Or yeah, or she's so, got money, yeah. doesn't she? Yeah, um, but yeah, she just. We first see her again to sort of hammer home the point of this. <laughs> It starts with her in a clothes shop, but walking past lots of naked <laughs> mannequins with no face, as if, you know, trying to tell us something a little bit <laughs> subtly there. Before, yeah, she she goes into a complete paddy at her poor shop assistant because the dress she's given her is stain-resistant. Yeah. <laughs> which we eventually find out is she's so offended that anyone would think she might spill food yes. and, and drink. <laughs> but, yeah... Um, she then goes on vacation. There's a lovely moment when she's leaving her apartment when either a cleaning lady or a neighbour who's up particularly early doing some cleaning laughs at her <laughs> manically. <Yeah. laughs> you look like a clown from a circus. <laughs> and the whole film's full of things like that. I mean, there's a. There's and a she lovely, does wear extremely gaudy uh, clothes. I think, yeah, even for 1974, it's pretty, pretty outrageous. But I think that's meant to be in the book, though. Like the right. fact that she dresses like this, you know, her yeah, outward—it's ex- quite a chaotic it, uh, exterior. Lies, yeah, the interior. <laughs> um, so yeah, it feels like it feels like I'm just going to go through this film step by step. <laughs> We've then got the airport, uh, where there's a great scene. I'm not sure if this is just how air flight was done in the 70s, but the, one of the best shots in it is just with all the passengers wandering across this towards the plane. Yes, yeah. like, completely empty around them. Because you're so used now to flights being, you go through that little corridor. That's right. And these did these did just look like lost souls. I really thought that was a great shot, but that may just be how air travel was in the seventies. <laughs> I'm not sure. Before she um, she spends much of the film claiming that she's looking for her. I don't think she uses the word soulmate, but the, the boyfriend. One. Oh yeah, she thinks she's got. A, she claims she has a boyfriend, but she's mm. looking for the the one who will know her. Yeah, and she will know him. Will it be a presence? No, it will be a lack of absence. <laughs> oh goodness gracious! <laughs> I, I Jim, love you this. should just like do loads of quotes for this. Oh, I, I wish. <laughs> no, I was, I was, I was, I was, um, <laughs> I was scrubbing through it today, and I was, I was hoping to get the one when she's got the letter opener, and there's something, there's some terrible dialogue about how much is this at the prices on the tag, yeah. and then she has some little bond lot kind of rejoinder <laughs> to that as well. Um, but then the second most extraordinary performance after Liz Taylor is Ian Banyan, I think the actor's name is. Yeah. Who is if if Dennis Hopper was persistent in Night Tide, he's got nothing on this guy. Who immediately I think his line was, I you're great, I could just eat you up. No, that she says, You could just eat me up, couldn't you? He says, Yes, but I'm a microbiotic diet, so I can't eat meat. <laughs> <laughs> just laughs manically throughout it. And should just have been arrested. 
immediately. Yeah, he, but she she hooks up with him. He was like a manic uh, Roddy McDowell or something, you know. Kind of. I mean, I recognised him. With his pockets yeah. full of rice. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. <laughs> Something's leaking out of your trousers was the line, wasn't it? I Goodness. need to orgasm every day. Yes. <laughs> Else I have to have two the next day, and that gives me indigestion. <laughs> so this is amazing. I think it's um, unintentionally terrible. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And the thing is, I'm now curious to read the Muriel Spark book, because it got all this acclaim and, yeah, made it onto this lost book. Or this, uh, I'd love to hear what Spark's made of this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, it, it's something to behold. Definitely. And, of course, uh, you mentioned the bad dubbing before. We have Andy Warhol makes a couple of appearances. Yeah, he's either a much better actor than anyone would have thought, or that's dubbing. He's very Because he's, he's an English count, isn't he? <laughs> Who may yeah. be the one. But now I find that you are not the one. <laughs> but goodness. What else did say about this? Because, it, yeah, it's just a bunch of bizarre encounters. And, and like you say, from the beginning, because, um, yeah, you say it's a little confusing the way it has these throw-forwards all the time. Um, once this tailor's at the airport, um, we get this kind of black-and-white photography taken off her, and it's clear something has happened to her, and all these people are being interrogated. Um Although they usually get interrogated before we've met them, which mm. can be confusing, or completely out of sequence in the case of the yeah. mechanic. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's confused anyway. The story is quite confused. She's a confused character, but like you say, you see these people being interrogated, and you're like, well, what bearing do they have on the story? And how where's it? Where's it all lead? I just kept wondering where's it going to lead to? Where's and it where it leads lead to? to is slipper buying. <laughs> yeah, with Mona Washburn oh, from. Yeah. Um, Lindsay Anderson's well I think she's in If definitely mm. she might be in a few others but again you're wondering why Liz Taylor's hooked up with this woman randomly to go shopping with her tries to ditch her but then seems pleased to see her again yeah there's something re- I know you <laughs> I know you're saying how like her lines and stuff are meant to be quite enigmatic but mm. there is something uh, she's a massive presence regardless she's a lack of film. absence throughout <laughs> the whole thing <laughs> but there is something about her that I, I kind of admire that she had the um, the stones to do something like this. To sit and oh, she's in her bra for a great deal of the film, isn't she? There's and a, she's a, like masturbating at one point. Well, but not actually. You look puzzled about she <laughs> She's not actually touching herself, friend. She's just like mm. hugely aroused for about two minutes, moaning on the bed. And so, I don't know. It's, it's a really like. <laughs> I think that was well, my response to it as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah. There's nothing uh, particularly. Um, it's not very exciting. <laughs> it isn't, but it's like, why would you do that role? Yeah. I mean, what? I don't know. She might have been whacked out of her face on barbiturates. She was letting Burton know what he was missing. <laughs> <laughs> He was probably just like reading Muriel Sparks' novel. He was, he was getting ready for Bluebeard. <laughs> now that, now that's. A so, are you tempted to follow up the directors of the films? I've got to read. It's uh, Giuseppe Petroni Griffi. Yeah, I was. Who apparently, did something called the Divine Nymph. <laughs> was that after? Oh yeah, he did. He did a few before that intrigued me. One of them was written by Dario Argento and has an Ennio <laughs> Morricone score, yes. and. Who's in it? Florinda Balkan's in it. <laughs> Fluella Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> Polo earrings yeah. uh, optional. Florinda wow. Balkan. Um, oh, God. I can't remember the rest of the... I just read this really briefly before my internet broke again. Oh, yes. Um, but, well, yeah, it sounded interesting. Into that. And the Sea Witch might be another one. Yeah. Or the Sea... I, they sounded... I don't know if you can get um, English versions of yeah. them, that's all. 
But this is this is one of those oddities that are an absolute. It is a curio. Isn't yeah, it? no, I like, and like I say, it's all it's up in one chunk on YouTube. Oh, it is one chunk. Yeah, no, there's a lot of lot of. Why things the up. hell did I buy that DVD? <laughs> yeah, I do get um, on the DVD. You get this option of watching an intermission, which <laughs> is just like some v- uh, VHS recorded copy of a seventies cinema, like orange juice advert or something it's very bizarre how peculiar no you definitely don't get that on YouTube <laughs> do you, did you notice the assistant director's name at the end credits no I didn't Albino Coco <laughs> I should Coco <laughs> well, uh, I'm staying at the Metropole I'll book you a room there next to mine the, the company will pay for it because I have to have an orgasm a day on my macrobiotic diet, you see. They forgot to mention as well that Franco Rossellini um, did, the producer of Driver's Seat, mm-hmm. he did Caligula. Oh, yeah. Which is much loved by me. Some people. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's good. You love the uncut version. Yeah, I don't care who knows it. <laughs> but I watched it the other day and. Um, with McDowell commentary on it, yeah. Malcolm McDowell commentary, and it had another chap who is, I don't know, he was like hosting a sort of, he was the, oh, what do they call it? A moderator. He was moderating. Right. Yeah. And uh, he was all right, he was all right, but McDowell was brilliant. He was just on a roll, and uh, he had this great anecdote where he, he was, was on the roll. <laughs> yeah. That his Taylor had been <laughs> looking Taylor for. Yeah. He was. Uh, he was saying how he had his dad there whilst they were filming. Um, just imagine that, having your dad on set while you're filming Caligula. Caligula, yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's a scene where he has to have a piss, and th- he did it, and then they cut, and all of a sudden McDowell's dad came on, and he was like, whoa, bravo, that was bloody amazing acting, that pissing on command. Like, I don't know how you do it, son. It's <laughs> just like one of the funniest fucking things. There, there's an Oscar category where it's <laughs> Pissing on command. Yeah, yeah. The artist would probably pick that one. A dog. I was gonna say it'd be a dog. Uh, Talking of McDowell, Mm. um, I was looking around. We've been doing the British rock stars at the movie season, which is about to conclude. Uh, I I, again, I've not written the name of the film, but there was a movie made about this big disco or music hall that's closing down, and to sort of raise funds to stop a developer, they get this big dream list of all the best performers who've ever been there, rock legends. But they're all kind of. Like Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts. A little bit, yeah, I guess. It's an old idea. But yeah, they, they pretty much come up with spoof... The film comes up with spoof versions of famous bands. But one of them, Malcolm McDowell as a Mick Jagger. Oh, my God. And do you know what his name is? No. Reg Wanker. <laughs> oh, what? I'll send you the clip. The thing is, his... The guy who put it up obviously is a McDowell fan because he's edited the performance by McDowell obviously in the film then cuts back to other bits of plot. So he's cut out all that so it's a bit disjointed. But it is great to see him on he looks like Freddie Starr in this spandex. Yeah, Reg Wanker. Reg Wanker. It's it's quite something. That's great. That should be someone's Twitter handle. (laughs) But shall we conclude the British rock stars at the movies season? We should indeed. Let's go. Just that I, I love housework. I think it's, well, such a a peaceful art. Filmed, but then immediately banned in 1976 by the BBC, Dennis Potter's controversial TV play Brimstone and Treacle was remade for the big screen in 1982. Sting is Martin, an obsequious con man worming his way into the unhappy household of Denham Elliott and Joan Plowright, whose lives have been shattered since a hit-and-run driver left their daughter severely brain-damaged. 
Infuriating the girl's father, but charming her mother, Martin seems worryingly keen to be accepted by the troubled family. Sting. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's got acting chops. You know, you were slagging off Bowie a bit last time. And, uh, I know people have given Sling... Sling? Sling. <laughs> sling Blade. Yeah. Sting a bit of a bad ride as well. But, you know, I, he's perfectly serviceable in uh, uh, Dune as Fade. All I know is I can smell an Atreides. <laughs> No, he doesn't have to do a lot, but he's great no. in Radio Days. Radio I mean, One. Radio One. The, the Chris Pe- Radio <laughs> Day, yeah. <laughs> Sting and Woody, Woody Allen, Allen together at last. <laughs> but in Radio One, I thought it was he had a great little cameo in that. Yeah, he's good in that, and uh, Quadrophenia as well is oh, in his, yeah, the, the which face, was his debut. This was the second mm, film he'd done. Not sure. Well, yeah. Radio, I don't know. But I think this is his first like lead role. Yeah. He uh, begged for this role because really? the aforementioned Malcolm, Malcolm McDowell, McDowell yeah. was meant to be in it. Yeah. But he approached um, Richard Longcrane, um, who was in New York at the time or something. And Sting mm. was like, please, please, give me this line. I'll do yeah. it, I'll do it. And um, I just just wanted to say that mm. I really like Sting in this. He's, yeah. he's brilliant. I mean, he's up against like Joan Plowright and Denham Elliott as well, and uh, uh, Suzanne Hamilton. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he... He holds his own ma- magnificently. He is. It's a point a lot of other people have made, but it's it's kind of like Bowie and Man Who Fell to Earth, where mm. the fact that he's not a great actor and he's quite arch kind of helps because he's meant to be putting on a performance throughout yeah. it. In case people don't know, the idea here is that he's possibly the devil. It's not really stressed. Uh, he hasn't got a big supernatural feel, but the, you definitely there's something about him that is more than just a guy chancing his luck. We first see him picking pockets and things. Um, he's got this scan when he basically bumps into people and then pretends he recognises them and waits for them to fill in the details, uh, which is kind of how the film is bookended. But um, no, I say he, he does a good job here. He's not a brilliant actor, but it really works for the role. Yeah, he, he's got that weird sort of like schoolboyish um, way of talking, you know, because it's funny because. You know, He's a Geordie, and he was a school teacher, wasn't he? Actually, as well. But he he does this like very funny little fey voice at times, which works well. It gives this weird sort of juxtaposition to the character, you know, because he has that ability to give a really um, nasty look. Mm. He's got those penetrating eyes that can mask what's being said. You know, yeah. they, they overplay that. Yeah, I just I just really enjoyed him in this, but I enjoyed the whole damn thing. I thought I was really really surprised. I, I, I love running out of luck, but I think this is like the best film of the, um, the oh, British the rock, rock. Because of series. course, Martin, you say Malcolm McDowell, but Jagger was up for the role as well. No, no, he wasn't. No <laughs> so way. That's <laughs> too. Red Wanker was up for it. No, had you had you seen this before or no, the, or I the didn't original? Know about it. All no. right. Um, um, I mean, my Potter knowledge is limited. I've, I watched a lot of Dennis Potter when I was very young, like yeah. way too young to understand <laughs> or appreciate it, or uh, appreciate it. Um, Johan Wally, Johan Wally yeah. Kilmer in uh, well, she wasn't Kilmer then, I guess, but uh, yeah, Singing Detective was something I watched quite young. I mm-hmm. mean, when I say young, I mean like eight and nine. Yeah, probably. And same lipstick on your collar. I'd have been about thirteen or something, and I just didn't really get it. You know, it was it kind of went over my head. Yeah, I mean, and Potter's got this great reputation. And things he did do some really great stuff. Definitely, Sing Detective. I'd say definitely this. Mm. Several others, but he'd, he'd also do a lot of rubbish. Right. <laughs> well, maybe not rubbish, but um, no, that would be unfair to say rubbish. But he was someone who um, 
kind of went over the same themes a lot, which happens with a lot of writers, I suppose, but um, often unsuccessfully. But then he'd really get it right. And like Sing Detective, he got it really right in this. Um, possibly jumping ahead a bit on this, but in case people don't know, yeah, the setup I have um, with the parents and the disabled daughter, she's brain damaged, uh, Susanna Hamilton, flying around in the background grunting. This is why the play was banned originally. Alistair Milne, who was director general at the time, I think said it was brilliantly made but nauseating, is his <laughs> word. Um, because as a disabled person, uh, or an actor well, playing a disabled person, or <laughs> more, I mean, I, I like I say, you, you'd not seen it before. Um, yeah. I think we don't want to give away the ending of this, but yeah, it does go. I think you can probably guess where things mm. go with this. Um, okay. It's a little similar to Cousin Kevin in <clears throat> The Who. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I can understand why you might have got cold feet as uh, Director General. But, yeah, this is the same kind of heritage as Scum. That was made as a TV play, I think, just after Brimstone. Got banned and then had to be re remade as a cinema film. Mm. Although this hasn't gone on to be quite as uh, notorious. <laughs> um, but, yeah, um, yeah. what I was going to say is, given it does have this, it's very controversial and uh, that's there's a kind of rubbernecking appeal to it about that the fact that it is quite such unpleasant subject matter or you can tell where it's going mm. and I did as much as I was enjoying it and thinking it was really good I was thinking you probably have to have a really good reason to do this and I'm not you'd probably have to really think about what the message of this film is <laughs> well yeah uh, it's quite hard to talk about it without without spoiling the, spoiling end, the yeah. ending obviously yeah. but um I mean, there's like the whole film that there's that idea of guilt, isn't there? The, mm. the, there's a there's a very like sort of Catholic sort yeah. of feel to the whole movie. I don't know if that's a common theme in Potter mm. stuff or if it was particularly. I think because I read on Wikipedia, he he was very much in the frame of he was suffering quite badly yeah, his, from his illness yeah. at the time, and he was just trying to put people in the frame of mind. That the world is just a horrible, dirty, yeah. scummy place. You probably read the same quote as me. I think he, he said, and this is like just after he'd written the TV play, then he said he can't believe he wrote it at the time. But mm. he said the only meaningful communion would be for people to go out and vomit on the <laughs> yes, pavements yeah, yeah. and for the vomit to splash up against God or something. <laughs> but yeah, Dennis Potter, as you all know, had psoriasis, or his, his joints and skin were completely screwed. And um, so yeah, he spent a great deal of time bed bound. Mm. And, um, in pain, and it does. It's a, it's a, it's a very angry film, and I, 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 I don't know. I just really love the, the relationship at the centre of it. That's a bit of a cheesy thing to say, but the fact you've got Denham Elliott as this guy who spends his life writing Hallmark cards, pretty much, but very evangelical. Them mm. specifically for a, a religious company, trite little rhymes, um, a verse. Whereas his wife Joan Plowright, it's difficult to really hate her. She's such a pleasant character, even though it's clear she's probably not someone Potter's got a lot of sympathy for because she's very naive. Yeah. Um, she, her faith in God, she thinks will sort this situation out, which is obviously all the facts are against it. You know, this this girl's irreversibly brain damaged. Um, but uh, there was something really fascinating about that, and they're yeah. brilliant in it, Denham Elliott and Joan Plowright. Oh, amazing! Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard for me to watch uh, uh, Joan Plowright without yeah. seeing her as Sissy Colpit, yeah. especially from this period because uh, Joining by Numbers is on the made a few years later, yeah. wasn't it? But, um, but yeah, there's something interesting because from that you're saying about her being this naive sort of character, but but yeah, she's just full of faith basically, and she's like opted. To take that path of like staying with um, 
what's it called the daughter uh, Patricia Patricia Patty Patty, yeah. Patty that's it and um, I don't know there's something admirable about her character she, I mean she's obviously like I guess yeah Potter might not have liked her particularly whereas you know Denham Elliott's character uh, <laughs> doesn't come off too great he's another in a long line of Dennis Potter's frustrated sexually frustrated middle aged men isn't he in, indeed has this um bit on the side at the office who's Mary McLeod who again is from Lindsay Anderson movies so scary yes (laughs) (laughs) and uh, Susanna Hamilton I've got to say is brilliant in this she hardly Mm. to say she hardly does anything she's obviously in the background all the time because the idea they've set her upon a kind of um, stretcher bed in the living room in the living room yeah but you just think that must have been an incredibly difficult role to be. You can't just sit back in the background there. You've got to constantly be thrashing around, yeah. contorting your body. Um, apparently, her grunts were kind of scripted as well. Wow. Um, and yeah, it was a <laughs> really great cool. performance. I think the only other thing I've seen her in is uh, 1984. The yeah, Richard same here. Yeah. yeah, but I did want to say as well, considering it's from. Um, from theatre, like the it's a play. Well, not yeah, not you, not stage theatre. No, it's a TV play. But I mean, yeah, you you, know, you don't have the visual scope mm. that you would with a film. I thought uh, Richard Longcrane did a really good job with it. He, yeah, he made it quite. Um, ugh, it's a horrible I word. Suppose. Cinematic. Yeah. I was going to say kinetic. There's like the, there's there's a lot of um, you get the, the crux of the film. I guess is in the, the household. Yeah. Um, but either side of that, I mean, even just the opening titles, which I just couldn't figure out what was going on. There's just these <laughs> leaves of paper. And of, leaves, yeah. Yeah, coming, like out, coming out of a gutter or something. Yeah, and then, yeah, it pulled away, the camera and went down, and it's a gorgor's mouth. And yes. Stuff. It's kind of like, it's a portent of With doom, this great, <laughs> um, like, Salvation Army hymn, which I think mm. was arranged by Michael Nyman. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. That, that's great. I love that song. And then when the role is called, in and London. it's Southwark Cathedral, isn't oh, it? right. Because yeah. it's all set around here, London Bridge. Yeah. Um, that that scene where he's collapsed. Yeah. Uh, things he's... collapse when he's um, bumped into Denim Elliott. Yeah. He's trying to get into his uh, life. Weedle into. Him. <laughs> yeah, and again, the, then the end credits are similar as well. It's, it's well worth sitting through right through the end oh, credits yeah, with this. Book, book being turned with these amazing illustrations breaking up the actual credits of gargoyles and this. I couldn't make much credits. sense of those illustrations. Yeah, but again, it just <laughs> the whole thing has one of the. It's one of those things when you're not quite sure if you've caught things out the corner of your eye, mm. or even like I said, we won't reveal the resolution to it. But there's a coda which may look like it's just a kind of obvious thing to do at the end. But even that, the dialogue there seems a bit ambiguous, suggesting something else. It might, yeah, things might not. <laughs> Might not be quite what you think they and are, and it features Dudley. And Sutton. it features Dudley Sutton, <laughs> yes, because oh, and that was great because his name rolls out at the beginning, doesn't it? Yes, and you're thinking, where's Dudley where Sutton? Where so yeah, he doesn't crop up till the very, the very end. Um, would you be tempted to watch the TV version of this? Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, because yeah. that's Denham Elliott again. Um, it's been a while since I've seen that because, like I said, it's banned in '76. I remember they finally showed it in 1987. I remember watching it on TV. Right, it's been on a few times since. Denham Elliott again, but I remember and I, I did look it up. Um, his character in the TV version um, is a member. It, it eventually emerges as a member of the National Front. Oh right! And there's there's a quite a lot of him being what I'm going to call a casual racist. It wasn't like he was completely, you know, send them back home. But it was no. just, there was an um, he was uncomfortable with the way the world was going. It was right. kind of like he lazily jumped onto that rather than mm. think about the consequences of it. And I thought it was odd that it had been taken out of the film, and um, not, even though I said this wasn't a stage play, Potter then did adapt it for the stage. Yeah. Um, when the TV show was banned, like I think it was staged at the in Sheffield uh, the next year. Um, 
So yeah, it was odd that they made that kind of choice. But the guy playing Martin in that is Michael Kitchen, who I think if people know him now, is he had a recurring role in the Piers Brosnan, James Bond films. <laughs> Um, but I don't know. I I I think Sting does a really great job, like you say here. Yeah, I think it kind yeah. of the fact that it's Sting as well. He's got the, the <laughs> bringing the luggage of him being like a huge and, rock star at the time. And they have the Police uh, soundtrack. As yeah. Well. What did you think of that? I loved the soundtrack. Yeah. I absolutely loved it. Uh, I've had the soundtrack on vinyl for ages. Mm. Um, but <laughs> no, it's really good. I mean, yeah. this is the gap between the police the police are a really good band and yeah. then Sting solo it's like a massive drop off it's it's a real uh, example of when you need a group who are keeping each other in check and making sure I was sure going to say that, that there's there's a very Copeland feel to um, uh, some of the tracks on this yeah, like, yeah, I mean, they're it, all written by Sting yeah which uh, I found really interesting mm. though, because there's definitely a similar dynamic to like the Rumblefish soundtrack yeah. with like the way the, the rhythms and yeah. stuff work but and the electronic sort of elements to it yeah. are quite odd. I wouldn't really associate that with the police, but yeah. I'm not massively into the police. Anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I I used to really like them, but yeah, as with loads of middle-aged men with iPods, I've, I've recently started <laughs> listening to their stuff again. And it is weird to think they were such a massive band because their, their biggest albums, like Ghost in the Machine and mm. Synchronicity, are quite odd Yeah, musically and Sting famous for his pretentious lyrics. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> But no, no, it is a really good soundtrack. And then bizarrely, you've got things like the Go Go's and Squeeze yes, in there yeah. as well, <laughs> probably for copyright reasons. Um, no, I, I agree with you. I think this is the as brilliant as running out of luck is. I think this is like genuinely the best of the films we've yeah, covered in it. It's, um, it's really it's well worth. <laughs> and again, it's fallen into obscurity. I remember it was when it came out because Sting was such a big deal. It had quite a lot of coverage, I think, when it came out. But now. That, that telling thing it doesn't really even have its own Wikipedia entry I think no, the entry is about the TV play and it's kind of mentioned it is yeah. yeah you have to go through the uh, through the TV play and then there's like a mm. hyperlink to the film and it just yeah. it actually has its own like mini Wikipedia within Wikipedia page it's quite <laughs> sad <laughs> but I got it for three quid from FOP you so, did and I got it yeah. for a penny off Amazon um, <laughs> although I've got to say it turned out I think it was from a dodgy source because it looked mine I was going to ask you is the print pretty good on yours yeah because yeah, this looked like it was taken from a good video recording because mm. it does wobble a bit and there's all the um, it hasn't been cleaned up at all yeah you know? no this the, is the gaps uh, between real changes are pristine ah right yeah. um, no I'd, I'd def definitely seek this out um, something I was wondering mm -hmm. do you think Denham Elliott and Joan Plowright actually referred to him as Sting on set <laughs> or insisted on calling him Gordon <laughs> I can imagine they call him Gordy <laughs> <laughs> um Anything else? This is it. This is the last film of our rich rock star yeah. that the movie season. Is there anything else you would like to have covered? I should have given you some notice of this. It's a bit unfair of me, but yeah, I've got to think on the spot now. Um, I can't think of anything on the spot. I'm not no, an on the spot was, person, but no, I, you, I, I you've obviously got something. well, Breaking Glass. Um, I do really like that, but it's it, Hazel O'Connor's pretty much only known for that film, Breaking yeah. Glass. So, um, no, one I thought of. Um, I'd forgotten about but Ray Davis of the Kinks did his own movie called Return to Waterloo mm. which I started thinking of ex extending this and including it because I remember seeing that on TV a long time back and it's got Tim Roth in it wow um, the thing is it's, it's written and directed by Ray Davis and he only makes a very brief cameo in it as a busker it's mostly Ken Cowley um, who'll 
you'll recognise from like Ken Russell, but he's also Admiral Piet in The Empire Strikes Back. Is oh right, yes, yes, yes. Um, but he's he's pretty much a businessman who's possibly a rapist, uh, <laughs> having a mental breakdown on a commuter train. Um, but I was looking at some clips of it on YouTube and thinking. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not quite sure this is worth tracking down. I wouldn't mind seeing it again, but I just thought of one. Go on. I, I don't know if we could have done it on the show because I only watched it recently for the first. But privilege, which I know oh, yeah. you're, you're like a bit. Yeah. No, I wasn't that. You're not a big, big Watkins on that. Fan, Peter are you? Watkins, night, not is it? No, Punishment Park, isn't it? Yeah, Culloden. I saw that recently. No, it's amazing. I, no, it, it left me cold. Oh, no, it was cool. no real steel. Valerie. Sir. You are an extremely salacious and corrupt Jezebel. And thank you very much. Okay, that's all for tonight. All done and dusted again. 30. 30. Well, yeah. Yes and no. Yeah, we've done, we've actually 30 done with a few extra bits and pieces. We've, we've had a few head cleaners yeah. and whatnot. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're getting there. It's nearly our uh, anniversary. Yes, we should do something for that. We should. Have we got something lined up? Hmm... Well, have well, you got something? Have like I? That? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't really thought about that, to be honest. Nah, well, see how it goes. We'll, 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 well, we'll definitely be having another midnight tip all soon. Yeah, uh, April sometime, but we've not really fixed a date yet. We'll sort that out. Whether we do anything special on this show, uh, just review some films. Yeah, <laughs> that's, the best <laughs> that's, that's the only thing we can do. Finally, yeah. and even then, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but if you want to write in and complain to us yep. or complain about us or definitely or let us know us. what Brian De Palma film sorry I had to pause and think who we were doing <laughs> which Brian De Palma film you want us to cover next time um, yeah so you can get in touch with us at our email address which is midnightvideo at hotmail.co.uk check us out on Facebook leave some comments on a wall get some little lively discussions going so just yeah search for us on Facebook Twitter as well is that just at at midnight, midnight video, video. yes and yeah. uh, that's it isn't it yeah just check out is the there a website fourth? oh yes yes the, the midnight dash video website where Phil puts some film strips up so you get a feel of what the what the movies are get and see Dennis Hopper <laughs> and his mermaid and Liz Taylor's lack of absence <laughs> oh god I'm going to have fun looking for them and there'll be some interesting ones from Brimstone and I, I can imagine what you're going to get from Brimstone <laughs> and Treacle and then also, um, if you've recently downloaded the uh, the midnight video mixtapes that I did, uh, the track listings are all on the the blog on the website midnight-video.com. I didn't have enough room to put them on um, via the yeah, iTunes, the iTunes podcast thing. thing. Anyway, you won't be able to see it on your uh, iPod. Anyway. Who needs that? <laughs> So yeah, thanks again for listening. Thank you very much. It's been a good show. Three, and I really enjoyed all three of those films. Good. It was a very good one for me. <laughs> Let's see if we Not can be the more disappointing next time. <laughs> <laughs> so your internet connection doesn't break down. Oh, You'll broke. have to show me how to post these things up. <laughs> like, crawl into the twenty-first century. Okay, thanks very much. See you next time. Bye bye. Bye. Here I am. Here I am. If you take drugs and you drink and you want to be an artist, it's okay because that's what artists do.